All right, welcome. We're going to get started tonight. Turn to Judges. Hang on, I got my Bible upside down. Judges chapter 17. We'll get started. Judges chapter 17. We're going to be looking at quite a few passages tonight. And what we're going to be looking at is called Disciplines of Grace. And you have no idea what that is, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. But here's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about the Ten Commandments and how that it's going to be ten weeks long. We're going to look at a commandment a week. So don't panic that it's 10 weeks long, okay? But how grace is in each one of the commandments. Because so many times when we think about the commandments, we think about it being law, it's Old Testament, it's not good. But there's a lot of grace in the Ten Commandments. And we're going to be looking at that in the next, I was going to say few weeks, but it's a long 10 weeks, okay? And, um, and I think about society today, and I'm going to start off with where we're at in our world today. And Judges chapter 17, verse 6 is one of them I want to look at. And as we look at it together, verse 6 says, I'm in Joshua. Let me get to Judges real quick. Let's get ready to say, that is not the right one. Joshua 7, Judges 17, 6. And in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <clears throat> Is that not crazy? I mean, you could write that today about our country or our world, we could even say, and that would apply. Look over in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Isaiah, you're going to be all over the Bible tonight, so get ready. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. You know how your, my brain is kind of, it's messed up a little bit. Uh, nobody probably thinks like I do, but every time I start turning and looking for passages, I feel like when I find it, I want to stand up. Remember you used to do those Bible drills when you'd find it and you'd stand up and read it? And so, yeah, that's kind of, that was not good. And we all used to sit on the stage as a staff and they'd have us turn and I'd beat the rest of them. I'd want to stand up. But anyway, I forgot where I am. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. It says this, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There we are again today. Everything that's wrong, they say, is right. And everything that's right, they say, is wrong. And it's so crazy. Everywhere we look around today, we see that going on. And when we look about the Ten Commandments, And so many times we have this misconception of what the Ten Commandments are. Many are ignorant to what they are. Today there's battles against taking them out of public settings and that they're bad. But many people don't even know what the Ten are. I thought about having you write down, don't put your name on it, and see if you could write down all ten of them and turn it in. But then I probably couldn't think of all ten of myself, so I wasn't going to do that. But we know that the first four have to do with our um, duty to God. And the last six have to do with our duty to mankind. And so we know they're being attacked and Christians aren't even knowledgeable about what they mean. And so as we go in this, there are some reasons why this is a good study that I wanted to go through it. We've gone through some things on Sunday morning about John the Baptist and, and all that he preached and all that he proclaimed and how he brought... He was the messenger, the forerunner, the herald to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be talking about how there's disciplines of grace. There's grace based in the Ten Commandments. So the first thing we want to know is that the law invites grace. 
The law invites grace. We're going to be looking at some passages with this. So flip over to Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. The law invites grace. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Paul speaking to the church at Rome or writing to the church at Rome. And Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And some of these are kind of confusing if you just read them, but we're going to kind of look into them a little bit. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. So let's go back. What is he talking about? Go to verse 5. Even so, then, all this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But, it is a, but, if, it, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Meaning it's going to be one or the other. And we know that salvation is by grace and grace alone, not of works. But the law and grace are not opposed to one another. And so many times we think they're totally opposite. You have the law or you have grace. And really they're not opposites, but they're founded. The law is founded on God's grace. Look over to Exodus chapter 20. So we're going to flip all the way back to Exodus. We're going to be going back and forth from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Exodus chapter 20. The law is found, founded on grace. Exodus chapter 20. And we'll look in verse 1. This is where the Ten Commandments start, but we'll get back one and two. Exodus chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So here, this is before the Ten Commandments. We know that the Lord is speaking here. And he's saying, I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of the bondage of Egypt. And I think about our lives. That grace brought us out of sin, the bondage of sin. Just like they were brought out of the bondage of Egypt, the bondage of slavery, we've been brought out of the bondage or the slavery of sin. Look over in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 7 and 8. We'll look at 7 and 8. Verse 7 of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here we go again. This was all prior to the Ten Commandments. And because of this grace, the people were to live in obedience. Because of this grace that they were shown, they were brought out of bondage. They were brought out of the bondage of slavery. They were to be obedient. And not for their salvation were they to be obedient to the law, but out of thankfulness. And you think about if, if we had been, and we're going to get more into this, but I'm going to jump ahead and I'm going to come back, so I'll address this a little bit later. But if you think about if we were the children of Israel, we were slaves in Egypt, we were brought out of the bondage, went in poor, came out wealthy, all the things we need, the Lord opened the Red Sea, 
brought us across. We've seen the mighty works of God. And then he says, here's what I want you to understand sin is. Here's the way I want you to live. Wouldn't we be so grateful that we'd want to do it? You would think so. But we've been brought out of more than that. And we look at this and we go, eh, I don't want to do it. That's law. I want to live under grace. But here's the thing. Because of grace, we want to be obedient to the law. So let's go back into Exodus chapter 19. So flip back. I should have had you write a disclaimer for a carpal tunnel after you flip back and forth over all these passages. I usually don't do that as much, but tonight we're going to be doing it. Exodus chapter 19 verses. That was kind of funny. I only heard one person laugh. Did y'all understand what I said? No? Okay. Well, that's, that explains it because it didn't make any sense. Exodus chapter 19 verses 4 and 5. Chapter, verse 4 says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Think about those words. God's saying, here, I brought you out, I've protected you, and if you will just obey me, follow me, the whole world will see that you're mine. The whole world will know you're my children. The whole world will know. And yet we know, looking back, the children of Israel rejected that. We also know that in your, on your notes, the compatibility of the law and grace, the compatibility of the law and grace was further enhanced by Jesus. So the compatibility of how these two come together was further enhanced by Jesus. So flip over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We're going to look at a, a verse or two there. Matthew chapter 17. And we'll look at verse 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17 and 18. Matthew chapter, chapter 5, I'm sorry, good Lord, I looked at that and I went, that is not right. Matthew chapter 5, if you're writing these down, wait till we get there before you write the passage down. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to, do, to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not, no, not one jot or tittle, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Here we know that when one becomes a Christian, he is Christ-like and the source of all grace. Christ is the source of all grace. and He came to fulfill the law. And these ten commandments have become a source of God's will, as we're going to see. And this is the way we express new life, is by living out the law. When we, as Christ, fulfilled the law, when we become Christ-like, we try to fulfill the law. We're sinners still, but we try to fulfill the law. If we're truly Christ-like and he came and he fulfilled the law, he became, he was obedient to all of that. He lived it. If we become Christ-like, we should do the same thing. Next, we know that the law invites the gospel. The law invites the gospel. 
And we're going to look over in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. We know that the law invites the gospel. It shows us how sinful we are. Romans chapter 7, in verse 7. Let me find it. Acts of Romans. Sing the song. Chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil. Desire for, apart from the law, sin was dead. So we recognize that because of the the law, we understand what sin is. And today, many churches, they want to speak about Christ. And they want to try to, Christ is going to enrich your life. He's going to make it better and all these things. And he does. Don't get me wrong. But what they fail to do is they fail to speak and preach about sin and repentance and confessing the sins and what sin is. And Christ gives like a lot of the good that we get is icing on the cake, but whatever, it makes everything good. But the cake is we're sinners saved by grace. Okay. And so we need to see ourselves first as sinners. And when we look at the law, we look at the commandments, as we say law, we're going to mean commandments when we use that term. When we look at that, and we cannot do that on our own, and we recognize when we look at that, I'm a sinner. And we know that God gave the children of Israel that so they'd know right from wrong, sin from righteousness. And when we look at that, it helps us to understand what sin is. Either the way we handle looking at God the way we're obedient to him, the things we do, or even mankind. And as we go through this, we're going to see these things, who we are. Next, we know that the law invites holiness. The law invites holiness. So we talk about this, and we know that God's grace so saved us. How do I please him? How do I do that? Well, number one, we become holy. We try to live a life of holiness. And the law reveals God's holiness. They create love for God. They create love for mankind. And that is the heart of the law that was given. You think about when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. He pretty much put all these in two things. And that's true. This is the heart of God and With us, we are to recognize that this is the way we're supposed to live. Why? Because we love the one who showed us grace. So now we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at the first commandment. We're going to look at the first commandment as we go back to Exodus chapter 20. We kind of lay the foundation of why we have the Ten Commandments. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 20, and we'll go verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these things, all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Most people don't think that they place idols before God. 
Today I want to give you the negative and the positive about this first commandment and about all of them as we do, as we go through it. As you imagine the setting that they had here, and you imagine the setting as they came in and they've seen God do these miracles in their life, they've seen the grace of God in their life, and yet now they're going to be challenged, have no other gods before me. And as they're thinking about that, they're going, okay, I don't know what that would really look like. And in this day and age, it's hard for us to go back and wonder what would they even put before God after all they had seen, all they had experienced. But I think about us today and in our setting, and the commandment is still true to us today to have no other gods before him. But I think about, when I think about this, I think about some of the gods that we place before him. And one of those would be even technology. And I know I'm guilty of this as well, but we place a lot of times technology, and it used to be just television. We'd always do these things back in the, well, some of you, it might have been radio. That was funny. Okay, I'm just saying. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I don't even, why do I even say those things? I mean, but... uh, but uh, we think about, we used to say television. How many hours do you watch television? How many do you know? Well, now people don't even hardly watch television. They're watching everything on their phones. They're streaming everything. They are doing everything on their phone. And in and of itself, phones are not bad. But what happened is we could do, and I, I, I was talking to some, some people the other day, and I said, I could take the Bible from you. And you would be, on a scale of 0 to 10, upset to about a 5 or a 6. If I took your phone from you, I said it would be a 10. And they were quick with it. They said, because I study God's word on my phone. That's why I'd be so annoyed. I said, don't lie to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, but hap- what happens is, See, and I think about if our culture today, we would be upset if they took God's word away from us. But as accustomed as we've gotten to phones and technology, if they were to come in and say, no more of that, we'd have a riot on our hands. And it would be tough. And I think too many times we place that before God. I think about even some of the pleasures of this life. And I love the pleasures of this life. But a lot of times, we're more concerned if that was taken from us than even coming to church, let's say. Worshiping together, prayer, studying the Bible, those things. That if they were all taken away from us, we would be more upset about the pleasure of this life And when we start to think about that, we start to think, okay, that must be what's important to me. That becomes my idol. Next may be money. We worry about money. We check how it's doing. We see the financial reports go across the bottom of the TV screen, and we panic. And we think about money. And so many times, if that was taken all away from us. And I think about this, and I I was, was talking to somebody early this morning in my office about Where is your identity? And I think too many times our identity is not in Christ. It's in the things of this world, whether it be our technology and our 
social stuff we have out there, you know, that people see, Facebook and all those things, Instagram, Spotagram, Spotify, whatever, I don't know what they all are, but there's a lot. They're changing so fast, you can't keep up with them. By the time I get on them, it's going to be out of date, no one's going to be on it. But anyway, but they're all out there. Or the pleasures of this life, or the things we're doing, the money we have, the relationships we have, whether it be our spouse or whatever, that is where our identity is. And if we lose them, all our life falls apart. It shouldn't be. Our identity is in Christ. And so, therefore, we have to be careful. And in the last one, not only do we put technology, pleasure, money, but too many times the idol that's in front of us, the most important, is self. I want to please self, bottom line. And so as I think about this and I think about in my life, I have to guard against that, that my idol is Jeff. And that's who I want to please, and that's who I want to feed. That's who is most important to me. And it becomes an idol. So we think about those negatives, but let's look at the positives of this first. When we place God first, as no other gods before me, we get him. All of him. Ephesians 5 talks about Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We get him. And I think about this, I think about the wedding day, and I think about my wedding day. It was something to behold. Let me just say, it was the most beautiful thing in the world, and it was everything we ever dreamed of. I was so stressed, I got a pimple on my cheek, and I mean, it stood out to about here. And so, that's true. I don't want to show you any wedding pictures, but but any wedding's stressful. But when I was standing before Lisa... Here's the things I thought about. How much I loved her and how much I made these vows to her that I'd love her for rich or poor, sickness and health, all these things. I would take care of her. I would serve her. I would do all of these things. And as I was looking at her, not changed after about three months, but while I was looking at her on that wedding day, is that I did not look at serving her as a duty, but as a privilege. When I looked at giving my life for her and doing anything to make her happy, I didn't see that as being bondage under a law, but being one to be able to show her because I loved her so much that I would do anything to show her that. And I think about my relationship with God sometimes. And when I was first saved, I wanted to do everything because I wanted, I loved him so much. And then as time goes on, you begin to take things for granted. We don't remember the grace and we begin to see the law or the things he's commanded us to do, putting no other gods before him And the thing is, you think about a lot of marriages. When I was looking at Lisa that day, many, many years ago, I was thinking of no other woman but her. None. But what happens too many times in marriages, then we forget who we're devoted to, and we begin to think of other women. And we begin to put other things before that woman that nothing 
I would have ever dreamed that anything would go before her in my life that day. But over time, things come in. What happens is we have to focus on what the law means to grace. And if we do not remember the day we were saved, if we do not see him that way, then what we do is we will place idols before him. And we don't remember seeing him as the day we were saved as our Savior. And we understood mercy and grace for the most part, unconditional love. In John 4, 1 John 4 says, we love because we were first loved. And we recognize this and we recognize how special he is to us, how much we love him, how devoted we are to him. All he's done for us, the grace he has shown us. And when we look and reflect on that, there should be no way I would want to put anything of this world before him. But we do. And so I challenge you as I challenge myself as we go through these. I want you to evaluate tonight. Do I have idols that I've placed before him? Or do I still see him as the day I met him? And for me, I had to, I had to stop and think. Because I can be honest with you, I can put this church before him. That's easy to do. I can put all the things of this church before, and it looks good, and it looks like that's what it's supposed to be doing. And on the outward, it looks really good. But it's putting it before the Lord. And it's sin. That's putting an idol before him. And that's a balance I have to make. I can put Lisa before him. I can put kids before him. I was going to say grandkids, but I'm getting ready to go into that line, and I'm afraid I'm going to do it. I'm just saying. My wife has already done it. She's not in here to hear this. This was for her, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but evaluate your life. No God, no idols before God. And let's go back and look at it one more time. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, Jeff, who brought you out of the bondage of sin. Jeff, you shall have no other gods before me. It's personal. And when I look at it that way and I recognize all he's done for me, I should never, ever dream of putting anybody, anything, before him. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the law. And Lord, as, we, as we're going to be going through it these next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking into it. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of areas in our life that we struggle. Lord, I pray that we would not look at the law, these commandments, and think they're just something that do not apply to us. But God, that we would recognize the grace that is behind these commandments. Lord, the grace that's intertwined in them. Lord, the grace that you showed us. And Lord, that I pray that we would not have any gods before you. You would be our true desire. Lord, that who we are is in you. And Lord, we would not let the things of this world, even the relationships of this world, come before you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can look into your word and it can convict us. Lord, we thank you that we can look into your word and it reveals to us who you are. 
And Lord, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, Lord, it all applies. And Lord, we can use it in our life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we had tonight. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.